Today, dear church family, we'll be considering the parable of the unprofitable servants, which we see here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. All of us really uh, serve someone or something, don't we? All of us, whether we like it or not. And I know it's not very popular in this day and age to be called servants. We don't want to be called servants. But it's true. All of us, in some sense, serve what's someone or something, whether we like it or not. Employees serve their employers. And they really, in a sense, are governed by their employers, what their employers want. Public servants, of course, serve citizens. Uh, government ministers and politicians serve, or should serve, I should say, at least the public. And so life is full of labour, it's full of service, isn't it? And so, in more ways than one, we are all servants. We're here to serve, but we don't like to be called that, do we? In our culture, we've become very spoiled in our culture. But also, more importantly, we serve with our bodies and our energy, but more so, we also serve in the spiritual realm. There's a spiritual realm which we serve in. We're all servants. And according to the Lord's words, we either have, there's only two masters who we serve. We either serve one master or another master. And the Lord's words come to mind in Matthew 6, 24, in this respect. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is talking about the spiritual realm, the more needful realm, that we either are serving the living God, the God that has given us our life, our soul, that gives us everything, that feeds us. We're either serving Him with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our mind and soul, or we're serving the God of this world. We're serving ourselves. We're serving our sin. Mammon really is love for money and the things of money, the things of this world. And so we're either serving God or we're serving ourselves, the things of this world. And so it's fair to say, isn't it, that we are all servants. The question is, who are we serving with the life and the soul that God has given us? Uh, who are we serving? And what kind of servants in today's parable is the Lord teaching us that we ought to be? Well, in today's parable, the Lord gives us light in this respect. What kind of servants we are, we all ought to be in this respect. Let us just quickly remind ourselves in verses 7 through 10, these profound words. This is the, Lord, the, the words of the Lord Jesus. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. 
Doth he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow not, I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, in a positive sense now, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And we see here, friends, that the Lord's parable is showing us the rightful expectation that a master has over his servants. And we see here the duty that a servant, that, that this ought to be met with. And so this is what we see, don't we? And by understanding our master's expectation, whoever that may be, and by understanding uh, our duty, it re will really discover whose servants, what type of servants, what kind of servants we are, and who we are serving with the life and souls that God has given us. And so firstly, let us consider a little of the context here. A servant is someone who is governed by the will of another. That's the first thing we must consider. A servant is not governed by their own will, but by the will of another. In those days, it could have been in, uh, you could have been a servant for a number of reasons. You could have been a servant because of poverty. There was no social welfare system back then, there was no NHS. <laughs> lots of other things. Um, and so you could have become a servant out of sure necessity that you, you would, could have been sold as a servant because you had no means to provide. And of course there were rules to, to be governed by. Masters had to be good stewards, as it were, as we read earlier in Exodus 21. There were rules concerning masters and there were rules concerning servants. Servants had to be dutiful and masters had to be caring and, and loving, as it were. And like, like we see with the uh, prodigal son, don't we? And uh, remember the, the, the prodigal son, when he came to himself, uh, he said, he said uh, if I could just be made as one of the servants, uh, I perish here with hunger. Uh, or if I could just be made as one of the servants of my father, as it were. He had bread enough to, 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 to the full and, and more. And so, a loving master, as it were, would look after his servants and treat them as their own children, as it were, with love and dignity and respect. And of course, another reason for becoming a servant in those days would be by war. Because the obvious, if they were conquered and taken into captivity, they would become the servants of those out of, out of, out of war. And so those who had, been, that had been conquered them um, would have been taken captive. And of course there are other reasons as well, but these are the primary reasons. The Israelites, before entering into the Promised Land, of course, were slaves, weren't they? In Egypt, they had cruel taskmasters over them. They were in bondage and in chains. They were made to work to the bone, as it were. This rigorous toil. They were abused in many cases, weren't they? They had these cruel taskmasters over them. And we know that that was a picture of sin, wasn't it? And the devil, how that man by nature has this cruel taskmaster over him. His sin, his, his sin, he's a slave to sin, as, as it were. 
But when the Lord delivered the children of Israel by a mighty outstretched hand, as it were, they became the servants of the living God. Did, did they not? They became God's servants. And in essence, they became God's property. They belonged to God. They weren't their own anymore. Their wills didn't belong to themselves. They were needed to submit their will to someone who had conquered their foes, who by war had overcome all their strong enemies, and had captured them, had taken the captives captive, and he was a far more gracious and loving and caring a master, as it were. And so they were not their own anymore, were they? They belonged to God. They were his. But not all, of course, were content with God's gracious government, were they? Although God had taken them, they belonged to God. In a sense, they were God's property. But in their hearts, you see, they still really they still were really serving. Many of them were still serving the gods of Egypt, weren't they? And so their allegiance, many of them, was not changed yet. They were still serving the false gods. They still hungered after those gods, although they were badly mistreated. They still wanted those things. Many of them became impatient, unthankful, and unholy. And in the words of 1 Corinthians 10, 5 through 6, it says, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Not every one of them who called himself an Israelite, who God had delivered, as it were, was an Israelite indeed, was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They still had gods. They were still serving gods. Their hearts had not changed yet. They wanted the gods, the, the Egyptian gods, as, as it were. And so it's true that not everyone that calls themselves a Christian is a true Christian indeed. The Lord, through today's parable here, is really teaching us, and his disciples back then, that's who he's speaking to, that the kind of servants who truly and serve the Lord with all their hearts and with all their soul and with all their strength, and they follow God, they are the Lord's servants. Those who at all times attend upon the Lord, not just the times that are convenient for them, Remember, many of the Lord's disciples were very young in the faith back then. Their faith was, as it were, a grain, as it, were, as it must have seemed. Also, it was very small back then. But if it was of the Lord, and it was, of course you would accomplish great things, as it were. And it did, didn't it? The word flourished. Their faith in Christ flourished. And it, it, it conquered nations, as it were, stronger than them. And what about us? What about us? What kind of servants are we? What kind of servants are we? Are we the unprofitable servants in a good sense which the Lord requires, who are more concerned about the Lord God's glory in our lives, or are we concerned more about ourselves? Are we, are we worldly servants who are more interested in self? Seeking our own, our own plans, our own pleasures, our own things. 
Or are we these unprofitable servants which are more interested in living for our Saviour, being governed by his word, living by faith? If we claim to be servants of God, increasingly the truth of the Lord's parable will be true of every single one of us. There's so much packed into this short parable, isn't there? Well, let's have a look at these truths, shall we? Truth number one. A servant of the Lord must be wholly devoted to the Lord's service. That's what this parable is teaching us. A servant of God, a true disciple of Christ, must be wholly devoted unto the Lord, always attending upon the, upon the Lord. And this is what we see in today's parable, don't we? We have a picture painted here very vividly of a servant plowing, in verse 7, plowing and feeding cattle. He's plowing diligently with a heart to the Lord, working the energy and the health that God gives him. He's with his hands, dutifully, as people do every day, work for work. But he does this with an eye to the Lord. And of course, he's feeding the cattle. He's a good steward of what God gives him. Everything, like we read earlier in Exodus 21, everything that God gives him, health, life, wife, children, home, he always has a mind. These are God. This is what God has given me. And I'm going to not abuse it like many people do in our, our culture, but I'm going to use what God has given for his glory. I, I dare not do what I want with my wife and my children and my home and all these things. I love my master. He has given me these things. And so I want to use whatever God has given me for his glory, as it were. And this is really what this parable is teaching us, isn't it? He, he is going about his daily business and duties, always with an eye of faith to the Lord. I'm doing these things as unto the Lord. A wife submits to her husband as unto the Lord. A husband loves his wife as unto the Lord. Because Christ first loved him. All that we do is unto the Lord. And we see this, don't we? He always goes about in his daily typical duties with the eye of faith unto the Lord. Diligently, heartily as unto the Lord. Secondly, a servant of the Lord is not satisfied in, in, in attending to the Lord's service some of the times, is he? Some of the times. He desires to do so all of the times. All the times. He doesn't just, after busy days, work as it were, whatever that may be, whether it's at home, or whether that's in the secular realm, or the business realm, or whatever it may be, he doesn't, when he just get home, just stop, just quit, serving the Lord with all of his heart well, and stick on the, the football and just uh, open, eat the potato chips as it were, just veg out and watch the telly for the rest of the evening or watch baking programs and just veg as it were and he doesn't do that does he? he always attends to the Lord he thinks well although he may be tired, he's been plowing all day, he's been feeding cattle all day he does it all with a heart to the, for the Lord but what does he do? Although he may be tired, though he may be stressed out a difficult day, his heart's to the Lord, you see. He wants to still be serving the Lord, as it were. He prioritizes the matters of the soul and not the flesh, that which is more needful. And so he spends time 
in with the Lord uh, at family devotional time, in prayer, in the, in the Word. You see, he wants to sup with the Lord. He wants to spend time with the Lord. He's always attending upon the Lord, as it were. There's this beautiful picture here that he wants to do this because, because God gave him everything and he believes in it and he trusts in it, doesn't he? And so we see this beautiful picture, don't we? A servant of the Lord is not satisfied in just attending to the Lord some of the time. He desires to do so all the time. After this serving the Lord in the typical areas of life, plowing, feeding the cattle, day-to-day works, serving God with all of his strength, as it were, that's what we're commanded to do. He then girds the loins of his mind, as it were. He's tired, perhaps stressed, and many other things, such things. But then he girds the mind of his soul, doesn't he? He serves the Lord in the evening. He loves the Lord not just with his strength, but with his soul, with his spirit, with everything within him as it were. And he does not quit serving the Lord and just sit and veg out. And that's really the difference between worldly Christians and true Christians who love the Lord. You don't just switch off and say, I just want to serve the Lord on my terms. It's, it's, it's from the moment we wake up until the moment we fall to sleep. He counts it a great honour. And a great honour and privilege to be in God's service. Some who one who's shown such abounding kindness and love to him. He dare not be his own anymore. He dare not seek his own things in this life. God has saved him from hell, an eternal hell. And so he's not his own anymore. He, he seeks not his own will and his own things, but that of another, that of his gracious Redeemer. And so he is thankful, isn't he? He doesn't need the applause of men. He doesn't need to be thanked for these things. He's, he, this is a great privilege for him. And in fact, a servant of the Lord's chief complaint is that he love, does not love the Lord and serve the Lord enough. Although he comes way short often of these things. His chief complaint, oh, that I would love thee more and serve thee more. And so the key to truth number one is that he no longer serves himself first, but the Lord. That's very important for us to understand. He, he, he no longer serves himself first, but the Lord in everything. He understands that he is bought with a great price, a great price, no less than the precious blood of the Lamb, of Christ. Christ, God the Father, gave up his best, didn't he? God the Father gave his Isaac, his only begotten son, the best that he had, and, and served us down here below, was, was a man of sorrows, gave it, it all up, made himself of no reputation, gave it all up, was, was spat at him, and even from the very moment he came into this life, was hunted down, and he did that, he served us, he humbled himself, didn't he, even unto the cross, and dare we come with half a heart, as it were, and say, well, I'm just going to serve you with half a heart. And so he understands he's born with a great price. He is now owned fully by God. He's God's property, not just his body, but his soul. It belongs to God. He's God's property now. He's owned fully by God. He's not governed by his own self-interests 
was own will. He does not say, well, I'll choose what I want to do now. I will not have to listen to God's word or ministers or any of these things. I'll do what I want in life. No, no, no. This person has a servant's heart, a humble, submissive heart. He seeks not to please himself anymore, but to always attend to the Lord's service. Always dedicated to the Lord's service. Truth number two. Of what is expected from a true servant of the Lord is for that redeemed servant not to murmur or complain. If the Lord should, through his word, command us to do such things that run contrary to our flesh and the things of this world, which we all have, well, the picture is here, isn't it? That someone is working all day, heartily as it were, unto the Lord, and he gets home, she gets home, whatever it is, and they're tired. And it's so easy, isn't it? Just to veg out, I'll just stick the telly on. And just brain dead, brain dead, uh, watch these things and just veg out, watch the sports or whatever it is. Goods, and sometimes they're not intrinsically evil, but we should be attending still upon the Lord. And we see this picture here of, of, of someone that truly loves the Lord. They come home and they still want to serve the Lord. Although they're tired, they still want to go to the means of grace, they still want to go to church, the prayer meeting, and strengthen the hand of God's people. They still want to be under the word. They may be tired. They may have had a difficult day, but they still want to be serving the Lord. There's this beautiful picture here, isn't there, friends, for us. And so they, they're not, I'm not saying that we can never complain or murmur, but the general, the general course of a true believer is increasingly murmuring and complaining seasons. And that they... We often are commanded to do things which are completely opposite to what our flesh wants. That's the whole point of being a Christian, is living by faith in, in the Lord Jesus and in his words, which goes to the opposite way, it swims against the stream of what our flesh wants. We must never neglect that which is most needful in spending soul time with the Lord. In prayer, in his word, heartily, with all our soul and mind, in the church, in the ordinances, we give ourselves to these things. We're made willing to, to do these things. Truth number three. When a servant of the Lord has done all that has been commanded of him, let him acknowledge that it is all due to the Lord's sovereign free grace. It's all because God first loved us. It's not that we loved him, it's that he loved us and gave his life for us. And so the servant doesn't need to be thanked by God for doing his reasonable service. He doesn't need praise, he doesn't need worldly fame and honours. A clean conscience, the love of God, the grace of God, this is, these are prizes for the Christian, the true servant of the Lord. He loves these things. And so let Dear, dear friends, that the servant acknowledge, a true servant of the Lord acknowledge that it is all due to God's free sovereign grace. It's all of Him. We do not deserve these things that God has given. Let Him say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. 
Our duty of love for our Saviour cannot perfect God's service. We cannot add to God's righteousness and service, can we? That which is perfect and holy, that which is, He has conquered all our enemies, He has enriched us, we were in poverty, we cannot add to that. We cannot say, well, yes, a, a bit of, <laughs> come on, I want some thanks here. We cannot do that, can we? It's all of Him. It's all because He first loved us. He first uh, overcame the strong man, conquered all our foes. And so, the true servant of the Lord knows this. God's revealed himself to him by his grace. And that, that's what comforts a Christian. Any service that I have now, anything that I'm spent on the Lord, I praise the Lord that he has given me the grace and the love to do so. I don't need to be thanked for it. I don't need other people to praise me for it. A clean conscience. But that, that's really an comfort from the Lord, friends. We need not worldly fame, nor gain, nor praise. It is our duty to serve Christ wholeheartedly, the giver of all that we have. He bought us with a great price, who gave his holy body for our wretched bodies, who conquered all our inner and outer foes for our sin, death, the world, and the devil. He's done it all. And who has taken captive those who were captive by their sin. He's taken captive. He, if we're true servants of the Lord... He has taken into captivity those who are captive. We were captivated by the things of this world, by our sin, and by the things of this world. And He has taken us, we belong to Him, and not just our bodies, but our souls. And so our whole will is governed by God. I dare not please myself anymore, says the Christian, the true Christian. No, I dare not. I am wholly attendant upon my Lord. Though I may be tired. Though I'm sometimes maybe uh, backsliding, whatever it is, I have these disciplines in place. I'm always going to attend upon the Lord because He loved me. And this is the mindset, the pilgrim mindset of a true believer, isn't it? Truth number four let God's true servants be always found ready, prayerfully ready and willing in God's service. Christ's servants endeavour to free themselves from anything that entangles them in serving God fully. And there's many things, aren't there, that can entangle us in God's service. And though the night, as it were, may tarry long, and though the Lord may delay His coming, as it were, we be mocked for it, and, and if we can live in a day of small things, as it were, the servant of the Lord, you see, friends, carries on because he wants to suck with the Lord. He wants to spend that time. He, he treasures that time with the Lord. To suck with the Lord. And though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried away in the midst, let God's pe pe people be found as those ready fire virgins waiting upon the Lord, even till, mil to mid to, till midnight, always serving the Lord, always ready with the, 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 the oil of the Holy Spirit, always sincere, heartily serving the Lord, as it were, ready for the Lord's return. Truth number five, God's servants increasingly become like their master. God's servants increasingly become like their master, don't they? Those who you are around the most of the time, you become like them, don't you? If you give yourself to your sin, the things of this world, you become like that. If you give yourself to the Lord, you love Him, 
as it were, you become like the Lord. You're influenced around those things and those people that you're around the most. And so you start to become, if you're a true servant of God, you start to become like God. You're, you're not God, <laughs> let's make that, that difference, but you become like Him. Grace, true saving grace, humbles, doesn't it? It humbles someone. And the words of Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. The Lord of glory, the Son of God, came and made himself of no reputation. He was hated and despised, spat upon, smitten, a man of sorrows. And the, the one who deserves all the glory and all the praise, he became, he took on the, the form of a servant, as it were, washed his disciples' dirty feet, cried over them, as it were, took upon the likeness of sinful flesh. And it says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so we have here a picture of what we ought to be like if we're true servants of God. There should be a complete disinterest, increasingly. It may start off small, like a, a grain of mustard seed, but there should be a complete disinterest in the things of this world. We don't, we don't care about what people think of us, our own reputation. What we care about is God's glory. Am I attending upon the Lord here? And it's, a, it's humbling. Knowing that God saved me from eternity of hell. He has loved me. He has revealed himself to me. He has wholly forgiven me. And this is humbling, isn't it? And then we serve God wholeheartedly. We don't need all the, all the things that the, that the world has to offer anymore. Friends, Christ spoke simply and plainly, didn't he? In the form of parables. To hide heavenly truths from the wise and the prudent and the proud. And he revealed them unto babes. Those who would humble themselves and become like a little child and simply and plainly trust in the Saviour with all their hearts. Not look to themselves like a little child would, trusting upon their mother. Uh, they know no, no better, do they? They just want to trust in the mother. The mother is their world. <laughs> in fact, on our way here today, a little Lydia Faith was singing her song, Ma, 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 Ma. That's her favourite song she sings about her mama. <laughs> Sorry about that. But she sings often about mum. <laughs> her mum is her world. And that's what we need to be, don't we? God needs to be our world. He needs to be, be more than the world. And as soon as mum's out of sight, where's mama? Where's mama? And she runs after mama, where's mama? Because her mum's her world. Her mum's the one that feeds her, looks after her, cares for her. When everything goes wrong, mum's there. Same with the true servant of God. I cannot live unless the Lord is always there. I must attend upon him, upon all times, as it were. We must humble ourselves, become as little children, have that childlike faith, and be utterly dependent and devoted to the Lord and attend upon him by faith, by faith. Today's parable reproves many who call themselves Christians, but who rather are more inclined to serve themselves first. 
who give God the scraps, really, of their time, of their heart, of their mind, and of their strength and their life, as it were. It reproves such, doesn't it? That's the point of it. Is this true of any of us sat here today? I don't seem to say this with a high, lofty hand. This is me, for many years. I called myself a Christian, but I wasn't. This is true. Are we truly serving the Lord at all times, as it were? The Apostle Paul said, did, did he not? For to me, to live is Christ. That's at the servant of the Lord's true aim. For me to live is Christ. My whole point is from the day that, that God saved me is to live for the Lord. That's all that matters. That's all that's going to matter in the end. Everything that is only that which is done for Christ is going to last. Everything is just going to pale into insignificance. Only that which is done for Christ is going to last. And so Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, who kicked against the pricks of conscience, as it were, well, he was made willing, a willing servant of the Lord, wasn't he? For, for to me to live is Christ. My life is not about myself anymore. I'm owned fully and properly by Christ. And it's in my whole point of my life now, from the day I was converted, not from my birth, or my lineage, or my family, or what churches I've been to, but the day I was converted, it's all about Christ now, to live for Him first in my life. Today's parable also recruits worldly Christians who murmur and complain at the service of Christ, thinking it's too hard. Well, of course it's going to be too hard if we do things in the flesh. If we're not truly converted, and we're not saying that the Christian life is not an easy one, it's a, it can be a very difficult one at times. But it will always be too hard if we are truly not converted and living by faith in the Word of God. It's always going to be too difficult. Our sin, our foes, will be too strong for us. We will always struggle with those things, because like the picture of Egypt, they were taken out of Egypt... But they still were in love with the Egyptian gods, weren't they? Still governed by them, still giving their hearts to them. And so it's always going to be hard if you're not truly converted. Because God wants our whole heart, you see. He must have it all. And that's the problem with the message today in many churches. It's not saying you've got to give everything to God. You've got to come with all your heart. You could still do all these things in the world. You can still please yourself and love the things of this world and give your heart to the things of this world. No. No. But God will not compete with His creation. God will not have a divided heart. He wants your whole heart. And He will help you to do that if you sincerely turn to Him. And you become not only His property in body, but in soul, the whole of your soul. And so today's parable also reproves those who complain and murmur, as it were. Today's parable also addresses those who are proud and self-conceited and look for praise from men for what they do or for worldly gains at the hands of Christ. I'm only doing these things because I want Christ to prosper me financially or whatever in the world with these things. That's not the right aim. That's a social gospel. That's a prosperity gospel. We do these things because, because we love Him. Because He has first loved us. Don't we? 
And such seek to mix their own faith and obedience with Christ's merits and add to Christ's merits. These cannot think that they are profitable servants. If they partly, by their own works, see that they are justified in the sight of God. Well, I'll take grace and I'll take my works, as it were. And I'll be unjustified by both. Well, no. It's all by His grace. It's all by what He has done. And so, friends, by these truths we know who is a true and faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not those, is it not those who seek the honour of Christ in all that they do? Though it grieves Him that they come short, or her that they come short. We often come short. We're not saying that we're perfect people, that our service is perfect. But there is a desire there, the aim there. Though we miss the bullseye as Christians, true Christians, is our aim for the bullseye of Christ, as it were. Are we aiming for the bullseye of Christ? And so by these truths, dear friends, we know from today's parable who is a true and faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, not, is it not those who does seek the honour of Christ and all that, in all that he does, not just some of the times, but all of the times? And like I said, though it grieves him that he comes short, he accounts himself unworthy of the least of God's favour. He, instead of being commended, he should be uh, reprimanded. This is how a true servant feels, as it were. And the Lord says, come up, as it were. He doesn't put himself up to the chief seat. He puts himself down. He humbles himself. And then the Lord says, come up. Come up. Because he has this humility of spirit. The servant-like spirit, trusting in the Lord. And so he counts himself unworthy of the least of God's favour and mercy. Like I said, remember the prodigal son. Remember that he spent a life away from his father. And he abused that which is good father, the government of his good father. And when he had spent all on riotous living, as a word, picture, isn't it, of, of, of people spending their life that God has given them, and ruining it and abusing it, and then he joined himself to a citizen of that country. So that's how we, this is the same course of what we are, like nature. And then when he came to himself, then when he came to himself, he understood that I'm, I'm here perishing with hunger. I thought this, the, the grass was greener on the other side, as it were. I'm here perishing with hunger. And even my, my father's servants have food enough, and even to the full. And here I perish with hunger. He came to himself, he understood how unthankful and how ungrateful I have been. And then what did he do? I'll go to my father and say to my father, I've sinned against thee and against heaven. I'm not, I'm not I'm worthy to be called one of your sons. Make me as one of your servants. Make me as one of your hired servants. As a, that's, that's the same as a true believer. I'm not worthy to be called a son of God. A true blood-bought Christian. I'm not, I'm not worthy. And, and, and the Lord, what does he do? He comes and puts the robe, doesn't he? Upon, upon that person. The sac- get the sacrifice, Christ, the robe, as it were. You, know, you're, you were lost, you were found. And so we're not just servants, we're then friends. We then become beloved children of God, adopted into his family, heirs, as it were. That's how God treats us. But we still are serving him. 
aren't we? We want to serve We don't feel like that at all. We want to serve Him with all our hearts. But what about Gideon? Remember Gideon? Remember when the Midianites, as it were, like the unruly mob came up in the season and stripped the land like locusts? And uh, Gideon, uh, the angel of the Lord's, came, as, as it were, and uh, said to Gideon, uh, thou mighty man of valor, and, uh, and, Gideon, and Gideon really was, had, was in the bitterness of heart. He said, well, well, is the Lord with us anymore? Um, where are his mercies of old? There hasn't been a miracles of old, sorry. And, and the angel of the Lord said, go this in thy strength. As it were, you will, I'll use you to deliver Israel, to save them. Go this in my strength. So the same way you're thrashing out the wheat there, and he was a master, the same way you're thrashing out the wheat by the wine press, that same strength and that vigor, do that in God's service. Serve God in that way. Seek God in that way. And so what do you say to us is that when we come to him, it must be with everything, with all our strength, seeking with all our heart, as it were. Remember the poor old lady that came to the temple of the Lord, and she had nothing but a few mites, didn't she? She just cast in all her living, as it were, to the Lord. Everything. She was all in, wasn't she? And God saw that, and it was more than all the other people gave in, because she gave everything, didn't she? That's what the Lord, the Lord wants of us. He wants it all, doesn't he? And, he? and he deserves it all. And he doesn't have to thank us for it. We have need to thank and praise him. In conclusion, let me just finish with the words of Romans 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Amen. 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 Amen.